mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus. You're as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You have termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch. Given the choice between the two of you, I'd take the seasick crocodile. You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, wasty skunk. Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote: stink, stank, stunk. You're a rotter, Mr. Grinch. You're the king. Good morning, Grace Community Church. How's everyone doing this morning? When, uh, when you came this morning, you probably didn't expect to see a, a green, furry Grinch stepping out here. Um, some of you uh, didn't expect to come in here this morning with the Irish being defeated as badly as they did either. But uh, for all you Irish fans out there, the message is very relevant for you this morning. The sorrow is in the night, but joy comes in the morning, okay? That's, that's, the, that's the truth that we can, uh, you guys can rejoice in. But uh, I'm Pastor Tan, I'm the children's pastor here, and uh, it's an honor, it's a privilege to be here with you guys uh, the Sunday after Christmas. And our, our title this morning is Your Mean One, Mr. Grinch. We're concluding our Christmas playlist series, and Jim, uh, he asked me to preach this, this sermon, and I was kind of like, Jim, are you trying to tell me something here? Like, I mean, I, I thought my Christmas spirit was, was okay. Um, I didn't put Christmas lights up this year. Our home is nicely decorated by my wife, but uh, I, he, he gave it to me anyways. But it's, uh, it's good to be with you guys. And uh, the Grinch, you guys familiar, if you're familiar with that story, the, the Grinch, he is a, a mean dude that is trying to destroy Christmas for this community of people or creatures called the Who's. And the Who's are, they are filled with, with happiness. They are just oozing with, with joy. And they love, 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 love Christmas. And the Grinch does not understand this. And because he doesn't understand this joy, he tries to take it. He tries to destroy it. And he tries to do that by taking every single one of their Christmas presents on Christmas night, and uh, take a look at this clip. Let's see the response of the Who's here. Oh, 
this, this sound wasn't sad. Why, this sound sounded glad. Every who down in Whoville, the tall and the small, was singing without any presence at all. He hadn't stopped Christmas from coming. It came. Somehow or other, it came just the same. And the Grinch, with his Grinch feet, ice cold in the snow, stood puzzling and puzzling. How could it be so? It came without ribbons. It came without tags. It came without packages, boxes, or bags. He puzzled and puzzled till his puzzler was sore. Then the Grinch thought of something he hadn't before. Maybe Christmas, he thought, doesn't come from a store. Maybe Christmas, perhaps, means a little bit more. So we see in that clip, obviously, the Grinch, he's fully expecting these Who's to exit their homes and just be wailing and crying because none of their gifts that had been given, had been wrapped under the tree. None of it was there. He had it up all on his sleigh, packed away, and he is just looking over this mountain full of anticipation at what these who's reaction is going to be. And so he's waiting, he's watching, and all of a sudden he hears this, this song rising up. He's like, that sound is not sad. That song is glad. And they had nothing Nothing was under their trees. And he began to realize something that, man, what if Christmas is not about all of these things that I have taken and now have on my little wagon pulled by my little dog named Max? What if all of this stuff that I have stolen has nothing to do with the overarching, with the ultimate and foundational meaning of Christmas? And it says that when he thinks about that, when that thought pops into his mind, later on as the movie shows, his heart grows three times and he ends up racing all those presents down to the village, giving them all away. He begins to realize that that Christmas is, is so much more than the things. And as we kind of conclude this, this series and we're looking at the, the final piece of the Christmas story, what we're going to be talking about today is how the, the things that we have, the circumstances that surround our lives, those things have the ability to make us happy. Some of those circumstances have the ability to make us sad. Perhaps you're sitting here right now and, and you're looking back on Christmas only a few days ago, and you're thinking to yourself, man, like it just, it didn't live up to the expectations that I had. Our time with family really wasn't that great, or our family, as it is year to year, got into another argument that, that led to slamming doors and, and bad attitudes. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you're thinking to yourself, man, Christmas was, it was great. You're filled up right now. All of us are coming from those different places Because Christmas, this time of year, gives every single one of us a a different feeling, a different place. But what we're going to look at today is that if, if we can really capture in our hearts what this Christmas is all about, 
And we can rally around the fact that, that worshiping our Savior who was born as a little baby, who would ultimately grow up to be the man that died for our sins, when our focus, when our gaze day after day is on him, and he is the one that we are finding our hope in, it does not matter if, there is, if everything is stripped from our life, if, if the biggest Grinch in the world has taken everything from you. In Jesus Christ, we still have the ability to sing. Songs of praise every single day, no matter how good our circumstances are and no matter how poor our circumstances are. Read, uh, if you would, open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter two. You guys can stand up. We're gonna read this together. Matthew chapter two. We're gonna read a couple different verse sections here. Our ushers are coming down the aisles with Bibles. If you don't have one, raise up your hand real high and they would love to pass one off to you as we follow along as we read. We're gonna look at Matthew chapter two. We're gonna read together verses one through three. And then we're going to skip over and read verses 9 through 12. We're going to read this together. Let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. Verse 9, after they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Thank you. You guys can have a seat. So as we look at this final part of the Christmas story, we look at these group of men that are referred here as the Magi, and they have traveled from thousands of miles away to get to Jerusalem. And they meet a man named King Herod. Pastor Jim kind of alluded to kind of King Herod and what he did and the horrible things that he did that surround this Christmas story. And these, these wise men, they, are, they meet him right away. And King Herod is a man that, <laughs> frankly, hates this news that this newborn king has been born in this little town that, that he is told it's called Bethlehem. And so we meet King Herod, and, and King Herod is kind of the, the antagonist of our story. He is the villain. These wise men, they, they've traveled from thousands of miles away, and these men came from the Persian Empire, what we would call now as the Middle East. The Persian Empire basically, basically had every single country that we see as the, the Middle East. And these magi, these wise men, were royalty within the highest courts of the Persian Empire. They were men that, that were very smart. They were intellectuals. They gave advice. They gave counsel to the ruling kings of that land. They were men that would often anticipate various prophecies. They would examine the stars, and they were very, very keen 
on what scriptures would say about various prophecies. And so they were anticipating some kind of event. And so they, they were sitting there one day, they were examining the stars as they were in their Persian empire, their country, and they looked up and one day they saw a star that didn't quite match. It hadn't been there before. And so they started doing some investigating. They began following and they followed for a long, long time. Thousands of miles, perhaps. And they followed this star, hoping that at the end of this star, at the end of this journey, they would be worshiping a king. They came prepped, as we'll see here in a little while, with gifts that were fit only for kings, only for royalty. And so they were coming on this journey seeking to worship. And then we have the focal point. We have Jesus. At this point in the story, Jesus is about one to two years old. He's learning probably how to walk. He's eating solid foods. He's bopping around all over the place, probably getting into things they shouldn't, all without sinning. <laughs> and which is remarkable. I always think about that. Marcus, my, my oldest son, is four years old. And I'm just like, man, that is. That's a miracle right there. The fact that, that he got through childhood without sinning is just mind-blowing. And so Jesus, he's a, he's a young little guy at this point. And these wise men, they, they come into town and they meet King Herod. And what does the Bible say here in verse 3? When the wise men had gotten to him, they said, hey, we've seen a star. We followed it and now we have come to worship this king that is at the other end of this star. And when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. He was not happy about this news. I'm sure the wise men were a little startled by this perhaps. Because they come in, they are excited, they are, they are realizing, okay, we might be near the end of our journey here. And they are excited. And so when they meet him, and they are, com- they are met with just complete disturbedness, I'm sure they were pretty surprised and set back a little bit. You see, the, the wise men and King Herod, they had two very different perspectives on who Jesus was. And ultimately for our lives, our perspective is going to shape our action. King Herod's actions were horrible. He massacred and murdered an entire town of boys because he was so threatened. He was so disturbed that there was this this newborn king that was going to rise up. And King Herod, he loved his position. He loved the power that it provided. He loved the security. He loved the comfort. Everyone knew him as the king. And so when these wise men walk in and say, hey, we're, we're here to worship this, this new king. He's scared. Because King Herod was actually not a true Israelite. King Herod was, for sake of better terms, a, a, he was an imposter. He was a man that the Roman Empire just basically put in Israel and said, we want you to rule. But he was not a rightful ruler of Israel. And so when he heard, man, there's, a, there's this king that has been born in this town of Bethlehem. These, these men have traveled thousands of miles to come and worship him. 
oh boy, I gotta put a stop to this. Because if he rises up, if he gets older, he is coming directly from my throne. And I cannot have any of that because I like this spot way too much. And so he saw Jesus as a threat. Meanwhile, the wise men see Jesus as a king worthy of worship. And I think for all of us in our lives, we kind of come to that same place. We can either see Jesus as a threat, or we can see Jesus as a king, as the only king that is worthy of our worship. I know for myself, before I came to Christ, before I chose to follow him, I saw Jesus as a threat. The life that I was living, the things that I was doing, I liked doing them. They gave me a form of happiness. They gave me a a shadow of joy that I thought, man, if, 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 if I'd give my life to Christ, if I choose to follow him, I've gotta give that stuff up. Like he doesn't want me doing that, I know he doesn't. And so because I have to give up that, those things that, that give me so much happiness, I don't want any part of it. I remember many times teammates of mine sharing the gospel with me and then afterwards I'd, I would just say, guys, thank you. I appreciate that you care, but it's just not for me. I want to keep doing what I'm doing. I saw Jesus as a threat to my joy. But then ultimately when I began watching my teammates and I began seeing how they reacted to maybe a game that we played horribly and we lost, and I began seeing that, man, they, they're like over this. And I'm like carrying this law. I'm like, there's no joy in my life. Like I'm carrying these different things and And before long, I began looking at them and I was like, man, that is something, that joy that they keep talking about having because they follow Christ, like I began seeing that in their lives. To the point when I began to realize this joy that I've said I had, that I've wanted to hold on to, it's really not joy at all. They're temporary highs that are giving me these little fixes, but at the end of the day, when I lay my head on the pillow, they're really never lasting. And they modeled to me that, that, that Jesus is the one that can ultimately give us joy, no matter what our circumstances tell us, whether we win or whether we lose a basketball game, whether we get promoted at work or get fired at work, whether we have the, the best Christmas or whether we have the, the worst Christmas, we will find that if if we submit our lives to Christ and we choose his way, we're gonna always have joy, no matter what. Our perspective on Jesus will shape our actions. I think oftentimes we, we have these things in our lives, whether they be forms of comfort, forms of security, and these things rise up at times in our lives and they, they attack, they threaten, they, they tempt us away from what Jesus wants for our lives. This pops up in so many different ways. For me, one of these forms of comfort, I'm a, I'm a country boy. I love dirt roads that are wide open that I might pass one or two cars on. Like that's, that's what I love. That's where I grew up. Cities, big buildings, narrow streets, 
If you want to see my anxiety level rise, put me there. I just do not like cities. I just don't like the, all the, the people. I love you guys. But I just don't, it's like I, I don't think I have claustrophobia, but something happens to me when I enter a city. And so a few years back, Arielle and I, we, uh, she was doing something for work and we were driving out to Washington, D.C. I'd never been there, our nation's capital. And so we're, we're driving around and it just so happened our luck gave us that the day we had to drive around Washington, D.C. was the first day that our government shut down. This is about five years ago. And so all government-run buildings were just shut down for the day. Couldn't get into any of the museums, couldn't see anything there in Washington, D.C. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. My day already started off bad. I can't see any of this stuff. And so we start, we're like, Ariel, she, my, my wife is, she is, she teaches me a lot of things. But she is so excited and she was like, you know what, we just need to get in the car. We just need to go drive around. Maybe we can just see the things. So I'm like, okay. So we start driving along. And if you've been to Washington, D.C., you can get like two cars going down the streets with just barely enough room so that you don't clip each other's mirrors on the side, okay? And maybe uh, you've all been there, maybe you've driven and you're like, man, this, this is, I didn't think it was that bad. I thought it was horrible and I was completely frazzled, completely frustrated in about five minutes of driving. There's people darting across the street there's cars flying past me going like 40 miles an hour down these super small streets. And I am just like beside myself. Ariel's trying to calm me down. And uh, it got to a point where I was, I was just so over it. I was so done. We are driving past, we are driving past the White House. I mean, the places of all places that you want to see if you're in Washington, D.C. And I'm dri- we're driving along, and Ariel is like, oh, babe, look, there's the White House. Take a look. And I'm like, no, I don't even care. I don't even, I, like right now, I don't even want to waste the energy to turn my head to look at the White House because I am so done and over Washington, D.C. I can leave right now. And traffic, it just does that to me. We were driving up from Florida and we hit the traffic going northbound in Atlanta. Some of you have probably been there. The traffic seems like it is a two, three miles long. And we hit that. I was trying to avoid it at all costs. My luck ran out again, and we hit the traffic. And I am just like, I'm going crazy. I'm looking up like the, the, the GPS, the, the Australian accent lady. She's like giving me all these different reroute options. I'm about ready to grab it and throw it out the window. And I'm just going nuts. And Ariel looks over at me and she's like, babe, you know what? This is a great opportunity to practice patience. (laughs) And I just, it's one of those moments, I just bit my tongue, I just like, I call them breathers. I just took a deep breath, closed my eyes, and I just looked at her like, you know what, honey, you are so right. This is the perfect time to practice patience. But we need people. Like when, when, for me, it's traffic. It happens. But when those things of, of comfort, they, they creep up and they hit us in different ways. It's not the same for all of us. But these little things, these little instances can happen 
that completely set us off. Someone can say the littlest of things. Someone can do the smallest of thing. And it makes us go crazy. Perhaps you've experienced that this week with maybe some family members that came in from town and you're just like, man, if they say this one thing, like you, you premeditated, you're like, man, if they say this one thing, they know it sets me off. And if they say it, I'm going nuts. I'm going off. And we have these little tiny things and when we actually step back and think about them, they're so silly. But we elevate and those, those, those idols of comfort, those things of, of wanting to be right, those security blankets that we have, they rise up and they threaten what Jesus actually wants for us because when we settle for those things, when we settle for those attitudes and those actions, we're not gonna experience the joy of the Lord that Jesus has won for us. He wants us to experience that. He wants us to have that every single day because that's what he's given to us through his sacrifice. And Herod does not understand that. He only thinks Jesus is there to take and to ruin the way of life that, that he wants. He doesn't understand that man, Jesus, He's about ready to come onto the scene and he's about ready to do something the world had never seen before. And he's about ready to give people a fullness of joy that they have never, ever experienced. He chooses to consistently rebel and it leads him down a very, very dark path. His family line, his generation after generation is filled with this behavior that Herod here possesses because he felt threatened. But just as Ariel kind of fed that truth into me, she's done that so many times, I'm so thankful for her. We all need people in our lives. We need godly people in our lives that are gonna help us and remind us of the hopeful and joyful perspective that we have through Jesus. Because those little things that set us off that try to rob us of our comfort, that try to rob us of our security, those things are gonna pop up all the time. And if we allow them, they will control our actions. They will control our attitudes. We need those people that surround us, that help us and remind us to take a step back, to look at the big picture, to realize, wow, we have a savior that loves us, that cares about us, that, that gave his life to have me in his. If I have him in my life and he's done all that for me, it begins putting all of these things into perspective for us. Whether it be the, the, the hardest situation that you've ever been in, he's there. And that truth remains. I wasn't just joking about that for the Notre Dame fans. We can experience deep sorrow that cuts us in so, such ways that we don't even know if we're gonna be able to see tomorrow. We don't even know if we want to see tomorrow. But the truth is that if we take a step back and if you can in those moments remember that you have a God, you have a creator that wants to know you that gave up his life for you, it begins putting things into perspective. You can understand, you can feel the hurt 
you can feel the painful words and those aren't going to just vanish and wash away. But that perspective in Jesus can shape how you react and how you worship our God through your words and through your response to those things. Worshiping Jesus is going to lead us to true joy. These wise men, they, they were traveling and they had heard the king, they went on the way, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. Now this word overjoyed that's used in our NIV, it literally means, I mean, these guys were so excited, they could not hide it, okay? They saw this place where the star was resting above, and they, I'm sure, were tired. I mean, they had traveled for thousands of miles, okay? Now, these dudes, they were royalty in the Persian Empire. Sometimes we, we see the movies, and we see these guys, and they're like three, like, dusty dudes that are, like, just, like, famished. And, I mean, they are just, like, hardly able to walk up to Jesus. They got, like, three camels and something, those aren't like, I'm not going to talk against those depictions, but these men had the entire wealth of the Persian empire at their disposal. They had every convenience. I mean, they rolled in probably riding on horses. The Persian empire was known for their incredible horses. And so they were not riding in on some dusty camels with just three dudes. They were riding into Bethlehem with a caravan of people that this city had never seen before. Like I'm sure when these guys rolled into town, everyone was like looking out their windows, like wondering themselves, like who are these guys? I mean, these dudes are decked out from head to toe in the finest of clothes. They had all the jewelry. They had everything. They looked like kings. But they see that star and they see it resting over that little house and they are overjoyed because their journey is about to be complete. Their anticipation was mounting in incredible ways because they knew that they were moments away from worshiping the king that they had set out to worship in the first place. Now guys, these, they did not have any type of anticipation on what this king was going to look like or what circumstances this king was being born into or, or in. And so they, they look at this small house and this is no mansion. This is an ordinary little house, Israelite house in Bethlehem. And it says they, they go in the door and they look, they see Mother Mary, and they see the child. And the Bible doesn't add like a little excerpt that says they got in, they looked, and they were like, oh man, did we get the right place? Like, there's this little woman, there's this little one to two year old kid bopping around. They didn't step back out and look at the address and make sure maybe it's the next door. Like, maybe there's. Maybe, maybe this is the wrong place. No, the, the Bible says when they stepped in, they saw the mother Mary, they, they looked at the child Jesus. Their response was to get on their face and worship. Get that picture in your mind. These are, these are, these are kings of, of Persia. 
one of the mightiest empires in the entire world at that time, are stepping into this tiny little Israelite house, bowing on their faces to this little one to two-year-old toddler Jesus. These men knew. They understood. When they stepped in that house, they did not just see a one to two-year-old that was learning how to walk and getting into cupboards. They saw the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They saw the one who, yeah, he was small now, but he was going to grow. He was going to grow in wisdom and in stature. He was going to grow like us. He was going to understand us in every single way. He was going to live a life without sin, without blemish. And he was going to do that for us. When he was tempted, he didn't sin. Why? Because he did it for us. All the while, he led this journey growing up to become the man that was going to die on the cross for our sins, taking all of our shame, all of our humiliation, everything that was was holding us back from having a relationship with God and having ultimate joy. They understood this is him. This is the Messiah. And when they bowed and they worshiped, their worship caused them to give. They gave him these these gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. These were ointments. These were things that, that only kings received. And so when they bowed, when they worshiped, and, and when they gave, it signified. We might be mighty ourselves, but Jesus, you are the mightiest. You are the king. You deserve all of the praise. You deserve all of our worship. And I'm sure when, when those wise men, when, when they bowed and they experienced that, seeing this little savior face to face, their joy that they felt just upon seeing the house that he was staying in multiplied a billion times. Their joy came to the fullest when they were worshiping our Savior. Even as a little one-year-old boy. That picture is amazing if you think about it. Because these, these men, these people, these guys that, that, that came from so far away, they worshiped him. People worship Jesus from the beginning of his life on earth and they will worship him for eternity because he gave up his life on earth and claimed it back. Philippians chapter two, man, I love, love, love that chapter. And in verses nine through 11, it goes on to just, I mean, it just, man, it's so cool. But Paul says that every knee on earth, above the earth, under the earth, will bow down and worship our savior Jesus to the glory of our father. Nobody, nobody, will get away from bowing their knee to our Savior. So the question that we have to ask ourselves, how how, how are we going to be living our lives? When we get to that point, 
and we meet our Savior face to face because he's ruling now with our God in heaven, that day that we see him, are we going to be in that place like the wise men when we see him and we just fall on our faces because we are so filled in awe and joy at what he has done for us, what he has won for us? Or are we going to be like the Herods who chose to view Jesus as a threat, who chose to see Jesus as someone that was coming in to try to take away what you have. Because the reality is the Bible says everyone will bow. We're just either gonna bow on our own, out of joy, or we're gonna bow in shame because God is putting us on our face. That's a question that all of us have to ask. And because of what Jesus has done, People and circumstances, they, they can take our happiness. They can make us sad, they can make us mad, but they cannot take your joy that comes from Jesus. Things at work can happen, things in your homes can happen that cause your emotions to stir, that fill you up, or that bring you really low. That is going to happen. Our lives as Christians, we were not promised easy street when we chose Jesus. But the truth is that his joy, that his presence will always be with us no matter what. Through the hardest of heart, through the highest of highs, he will be with us. And because he is with us, all of the time, he gives us joy. I saw this so clearly in my teammates. Man, there was a couple times that we got beat so bad, I didn't know if I wanted to go to back to practice the next day. Got absolutely torched. And basketball was my life. And I would carry those losses like I'd lost a close member of my family. It wrecked my world. It wrecked my attitude, I'll tell you that. My parents can tell you that. It wrecked the way I treated people, the way I acted towards people. And then I got to college and I saw these teammates of mine that loved Christ. They had that joy in Christ. And there was a couple times, not as many times, thankfully, that we got crushed. Like there was literally one time, one of my teammates, the, the guy that led me to the Lord, he got dunked on in a game so bad that it ended up on SportsCenter Top 10. And after the game, I was shocked to hear his perspective and how fast he recovered from that. I didn't understand. I was like, how can you, like, you're on SportsCenter. Like this guy, I mean, you, you are like a laughing stock on Twitter right now. How can this be? How can you be so cool? How can this just kind of roll off your shoulders? And as I began to understand more about him, I realized it's because he has Jesus. It's because he realized his, his being, his identity was not found in his, his circumstances that happened. They were found in his savior. And that was able, that hope 
led to his joy of knowing that, man, he could get dunked on a thousand more times. And guess what? His joy was never going to be stripped of him. That is the hope. That is the truth that we have. In every single day, we have the ability to choose this joy. We can get up in the morning and we can say, you know what? We can hit the snooze button on it and say, I, uh, not today. I'd just rather have the, the things pop up. I'd rather deal with it on my own. I'd rather just let the anger, let the frustration, let the rage monster out like Pastor Tannen on Washington, D.C. That'd be easy. Or we can say, no, you know what? Today, I am choosing joy. That is what my Savior has won for me. That is what he has given to me. I am his. He is mine. And because of that gift, because he chose that for me, I am going to step into this day saying, no matter what, no matter what, nobody or nothing is going to take my joy. How do we do this practically? How can we worship our God Enjoy through our days. There's some practical ways as we step out in obedience, but every single day when we choose to submit ourselves before him and follow him, we can choose to stop justifying our sin and we can choose to seek his forgiveness. We can choose to seek the needs of others before our own. We can choose to humble ourselves to seek advice or correction. We can choose to work hard at our jobs no matter what our employer or boss has done or will do. We can choose to utilize the talents and abilities God has given to us. And we can choose to sacrifice our time, our energy, our finances to help someone else and to point them to Jesus. There are so many ways that we can step into our day choosing to worship our God in joy. Because when we choose to worship, the wise men, they, they, they received that gift of joy. They had it. And they were loving it. We can have that same joy as well when we purposefully choose that because of what he has already done in our lives. It's vital that we understand who these wise men were bowing and worshiping. The one who deserved it all was given a stable to be born in. He was the one that deserved the grandest of entrances. As he grew up, he stepped into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry. People were waving palm branches at him and going nuts. A few days later, they were yelling, crucify him. And the world turned their back on him and sent him to a cross when he had done nothing wrong. All the while he did it, he allowed himself to take that punishment for us. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12 that it was the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross. He, he scorned the shame, it says. But he did it in joy because he knew he was going to win us. And so he endured the cross. In much the same way, when we set 
him up as our joy, as our hope, we set ourselves up for victory every single day of our lives. Leave no doubt, there's going to be, there's going to be sorrow. There's going to be tough times. But joy is going to come in the morning. It is always, 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 always going to come if Jesus is on our side. We can praise him for that, guys. You can have confidence in that. No matter what your Christmases look like, no matter what you're stepping into for 2019, we can have confidence that if Jesus is with us, we have all that we need. He is going to give us daily grace and daily mercy that is going to help us experience the fullness of joy that he has won for us. Would you guys stand with me? We're gonna pray and we're gonna sing a song in, in closing. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good. Thank you so much for what you have done, Lord. You, you looked down at our sin and you said, I want them in my family. You came down to this earth and you gave up your own life so that we could have an opportunity to be with you forever. God, help us not to lose sight of that. Help us to remember your love every day. Help us to remember the hope that you've given to us through Jesus. Encourage our hearts. Give us confidence now, Lord, as we step into our, our weeks, as we step into this new year. Help us to set Jesus as our sight, as our joy. And I pray that you would just uh, encourage and give us victory in that. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Guys, let's in response to that encouragement, that confidence that we have in Christ, let's sing this classic song out together.